Rather than having made prudent life choices all along, most of us tend to only seek healthful solutions once we've had a scare in the form of a diagnosis or event. This is HealthScape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. In this program, we'll show you the techniques, innovations, and holistic ideas that you can use to put yourself on the path to better health. Now, here is Dr. Trevor Campbell. Hello, welcome to HealthScape. I'm your host, Dr. Trevor Campbell. Today's topic requires a little bit more explanation than normal. So it's a bit lengthier. Exercise and movement are central to well-being and recovery from chronic illness, especially in mental illness and chronic pain. Everything about our body suggests that we were made to constantly move, the body being, among many other things, a mechanical marvel in engineering. And therefore, inactivity and reluctance to exercise is simply not an option, even in chronic illness and chronic pain, and some would say especially in chronic illness and chronic pain. Similarly, on the social front, with all the thousands of languages in existence, and then we are still told that language represents only a part of our overall communication. One can just as easily say that social isolation is clearly not a healthy choice either. So how do we make exercise more palatable and more importantly, durable or long-term? How does one extend the shelf life of exercise? After all, we have no shortage of options from a basic walk in the park to the most technologically advanced equipment. And yet curiously, few of, the, few of these modalities prove durable or long lasting. For many, even of the seriously uh, ill people that require them, the likely answer to this question is that rather than focusing on endless motivation possibilities to be provided by the therapist, perhaps our communal attitude towards activity and exercise needs to change radically. Now, in medical school, when we were picking up our clinical skills, we would be in small groups of six, and then we would learn medicine at the bedside with the professor or a senior consultant. And then after discussing the case, obviously with patient's permission, we would go to a small tutorial room and discuss the case. And at that time, right at the beginning, we were warned that when we hear the, the uh, sound of hooves galloping in the background, we should think of horses rather than zebras. The lesson being here, that common medical conditions occur commonly, while of course, most uncommon disorders do so rarely. That having been said, it was also emphasized that we should leave one eye open for the possibility of encountering a rare condition because obviously none of us wanted to miss it. But as you mature as a physician, you come to a point where you ask, well, what can be learned from rare conditions and by extension, outliers in general that can then be applied to the everyday? In other words, what lessons can zebras teach us? Who better to give an opinion on this than Shauna Sky Romano, a kinesiologist who calls a studio Love to Move. She's a self-confessed maverick, a descriptor that she's happy to embrace. In my view, Shauna is probably the closest one will get to a zebra whisperer when it comes to movement. Now, her bio, I've uh, heavily shortened it from what's on her website, 
She qualified as a kinesiologist and high-performing coach, and she's been doing this for the last 35 years. She's founder of Love to Move Body Rebalancing and Movement Education Center, where she combines the science of training with the art of movement. She's a former Skeleton World Champion 1992 winner. I'll get her to explain what that is. And a pioneer for women's winter sliding sports. I think the best insights that we can get come from her own quotations on her website, in her own words. Quote, we all define high performance in our own way. While the principles of high performance and the science don't change, the art is the application of those principles through movement, and the magic lies in developing a love for movement. Unquote. Yet another quote, health, wellness, and fitness are created by what we do most of the time. So it can't be yet another pillar for us to prop up it has to become an integral part of our everyday life, more like a blanket that lies on top of what we are already doing, unquote. Shauna, welcome to Hellscape. So good to have you with us. Oh, Trevor, it is fantastic to be here and such a privilege and honor to be here sharing this information with you. It's dear to my heart. And I do have to say that I had quite the giggle about the um, zebra whisperer, because indeed we do have so much to learn from the zebras, from the outliers, and they're more common than what we actually believe them to be. And Again, thanks for thanks for the incredible um, introduction. I have been doing this over thirty five years, and we all start in the beginning to listen for the for the you know we, with the galloping we're looking for the horses, but when we start to see the zebras, we see more and more, and that's really what my practice has become. Is is I. I find ways and I seem to be sent often people or clients or um, patients that really don't know where to start or other people have not been able to find a starting place for them or move them forward. And we've had great success with that. So I really, I really enjoy that analogy. Thank you for that. Well, that's a new one, even for you, huh? Yes. <laughs> now, um, Shona, um, being an occasional maverick myself, let's start with what is often more typically left for a later stage of an interview, like what to do about it. So based on what you have experienced and seen, what do you believe are the flaws and deficiencies surrounding the way exercise as therapy is delivered today? Now, here I'm talking about at every level, from physician advice to individual physical therapists kinesiologists, occupational therapists, chiropractors, and even the patients and clients themselves because they know they're a major factor, obviously, and um, there's sometimes pushback, there's sometimes reluctance, misunderstanding. What is your take on this? Well, thank you for that question. And there's a lot in there, and there's a lot already that's been said around the idea, ideology and application of exercise and movement. And I think the answer somewhat lies in the question that you've just asked, which is the way exercise as therapy is delivered. And we can, we can say the way movement um, or, or motion as exercise 
and therapy is delivered is the problem because we deliver it as though, you know, we're, here's your pizza or, you know, you've got dry skin. So, so um, let's apply some strength training over here, like a lotion to your, you know, to your, to your dry rough elbows or some flexibility over here to your dry knees, or we, we start to apply to a person and it, and really that is such a short-term non-sustainable non-intrinsically motivated way for us to reach our, our patients, our clients, our people. Movement is intrinsically based. And when we can come back to the joy of that and understand that that motion is lotion kind of thing, rather than something we're applying to, we actually start to understand it intrinsically from the inside out. We're living from the inside out. We start to move from the inside out. And that's where that saying motion is lotion comes from. And, and I think that's, I, I know, I've, and, and God love all the kinesiologists and physiotherapists, massage therapists and chiros and everyone who is trying so hard and working diligently to help people get their lives back. But when we keep applying to them, it just becomes more and more of that pillar that you described in, in the introduction where one more thing that we have to hold up. And, and I, with that, I'm going to go into something that I, I, I had a good conversation with my mom, believe it or not, who actually had a degree in dance and physical education and became an, and, and she became an educational psychologist and quite fascinating. And we were talking about the subject And she had a really great observation as someone who doesn't work in the field, but someone who loves movement. When we get to those ages and stages where we have kids and we have parents that are aging or we're in a parent sandwich in that respect, or, you know, our careers are important or we're studying and we're so busy that we we drive like maniacs to the gym to get the workout in, or we drive like maniacs to the yoga studio to go home and relax and then drive like maniacs back to work. We're missing the point because that, again, is that pillar that we're having to hold up and our lives are already so busy that often that pillar crumbles. It goes to the bottom of our to-do list and we forget all about why movement is so magical and that it is, in fact, what the body needs, like that movement as medicine when it stays intrinsically motivated, that's what's that's that's where the juice is. That's where the good stuff is. That's where the medicine lies. And and there's years that go by, and then we you know we wake up and go, oh wow, what have I done? And my everything hurts, and my body's in a certain state. I once had a lady sit in front of me on a fitness ball for an assessment because that's how I would assess people. Is I wanted their bodies to speak to me. And, and just give some, give some knowledge, just give me some idea of where our starting place was. And I had a lady say to me, I said, how long have you been tired? And she said, she had this beautiful accent, 25 years, she said, and she burst out crying. And I had to get up and give her a big hug. She, she'd been exhausted for 25 years. And it was because of that. And she hadn't moved in a long time other than to drive the kids back and forth and do all the things she was doing. And finally, she was in my studio going, I used to love to move. I need to learn how to find that again. And my, my big, I think my raisin daughter, the reason why I'm so excited to be here sharing with you is because I really feel like we all need to bring it back to that. 
So we don't mm-hmm. lose it for decades or years or however long where it becomes, it's, it's no longer the pillar. It really does become the blanket. And we start where we're at to make it so. Most of us are zebras. I really believe that. We all have this intrinsic understanding of what our bodies need, and we need to tune into that. So right. that's a long answer, Trevor. <laughs> no, no, no. It's a, it's a, a very uh, moving and, and thorough answer. I always come back to, you know, having grown up in, in Africa, um, you know, the so-called traditional primitive societies, um, the, the, the focus was on communal meals where there were stories told. And then inclusive dancing, everybody, then nobody sits out from the dancing. It's... And it's wonderful exercise. It's bonding. Um, people feel like they belong, longing to something bigger than themselves. And, and I think Western so-called sophisticated society has moved away from that uh, to, to their peril, to the point where we, you know, we have pets because we like that contact with nature, because we've stopped regarding other people as parts of nature. They're either in competition or... Or, or we don't know yet where they stand, or perhaps they're an acquaintance or a friend. But we've stopped thinking of other people as part of nature. You go to a game park, a wild game park, uh, to see the big five, the lions and the, uh, the rhinoceri and stuff like that. But we, we've lost something very intrinsic. The traditional societies used to tell stories about you know, what, who they were, what they stood for, and everyone was included. You could have someone with, who was mentally ill and maybe even a bit disruptive, but that person it was included because he was part or she was part of the tribe, and they were more likely to be seen as gifted than onerous. And uh, we've moved too far from, from nature, and I think we regard motion as a chore. Well, what's the alternative? Uh, giving orders from a sofa. That's not a life fit <laughs> for anyone. In the couch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm um, no, no. on a bit of a role there, Shauna. But, you know. No, that's beautiful because you just, you you really, I mean, I don't know if there's a question in there, but, but to just, um, to just kind of recap, what you've described is, is for me, what I heard was tender and moving and honest, and accepting, and working together in community, dancing, it's understanding that we are part of something and not separate from. And then when we, when we put these roles and these, these labels on, on ourselves, we feel we have to participate in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I think we've lost that, where we, we really don't have to. And you know, this might be a good time to bring this up. I was I was reading an article this morning about Harry Miller. I don't know if you read, he was on the Today Show, I think, maybe this morning, but I was reading an article on him. And he's a young student who plays for Ohio State University football okay. team. And he just medically retired. And what he said is it was very tough to be resiliently tender to maintain love and softness in a way where we can still connect to people mm-hmm. because he's expected to be this big, tough, angry superstar, you know, has lots of glory on the outside football player, but right. he's actually extremely, 
his heart connected. So right. he, he's, he's, there was, there was too much separation and he's hoping by, by taking this medical retirement and teaching, I loved the words resiliently tender. Mm-hmm. How beautiful does that sound? And when you say, you know, these people that sometimes now we think, well, they have, they have mental health issues. They're, they are gifted because they, they, they stay connected to that heart center. And, and we have forgotten how to communicate and connect with each other. I right. mean, that's, that's, it was, I just loved his story today and it really moved me. And I, and I thought, what a, what a great, if I had a chance to bring it up with my chat with you today, I was looking forward to that. Yeah. No, it shows where the problems are lying, that, that mm-hmm. gap, that big giant space where dis-ease and dysfunction actually can take hold. We need to, we need to, we need to find a way where that space doesn't exist, where we have ease and flow and heart connection and start moving and living, living inside out from the inside out. We move from our center of gravity up through our heart chakra, our heart center, and then we move rather than thinking in our head, I need to do three sets of 40 reps of this for my shoulder. And our head makes our body, we're just doing it like a robot. There's no connection to the motor neural change that we're trying to create. So really people go, well, I did all those rehab exercises. It didn't work and they lose hope, but that's why, because they're not working from center through that heart connection Mm -hmm. to what the body really is needing. They're moving from an application. They're being applied to. It's therapy. It's delivered. And it's not a pizza. Mm. We can't deliver this. We have to find it. And one of my mission statements was to find, feel, and learn to function from center. And that center meant emotionally, spiritually, physically, biomechanically. That's your chi, your your center of gravity, if you want to stay with the biomechanics. But moving from center on center line, those are the principles of high performance. We can learn to take those principles and develop them into physically and start to apply them spiritually and emotionally and, and cognitively. And when we do that, then even though things are hard around us, an example, I watched... Um, Winter Fire, which was a documentary about Ukraine in in 2013, I believe. Um, And through all of this mayhem and chaos and crazy, people were breathing and praying and dancing with each other and singing and playing the piano. There was an intrinsic alignment to their spirituality, their emotional wellness through it through an actual war zone. It's quite fascinating. It's it really moved me as well. I was I was pretty emotional last night watching it, but I felt I felt inspired today to be my own hero, to take chances, to make mistakes mm-hmm. and and grow from there. And here's a really interesting um, quote. Take chances, make mistakes, that's how you grow. Pain nourishes your courage. You have to fail in order to practice being brave. And that's from Mary Tyler Moore. And I just thought it was interesting because that's what I see. That brave place is is us challenging from center, at the center of who we are in alignment. 
So, wow, I know that's very esoteric, Trevor. No, no, it's, it's very, I mean, a, a recent podcast of mine, I interviewed Dr. Sue Stewart-Smith, who wrote The Well-Garden Mind, uh, The Restorative Power of Nature. And she points out that gardening's helped a lot of people with mental disorders to open up again. Firstly, to life through the garden and to other people who perhaps work in the garden. And it's that opening up. I mean, we can be guarded and think we protected more and we've got less chance of being hurt. But our life starts resembling that of a clan. This is not an enviable situation to be in. So what's the point of living if one is closed off? And um, that, you know, we hear a lot about vulnerability and, you know, what should we, but, but I think that's what the vulnerability uh, what slogans, but talk is is basically saying that to have to in life you should have experiences. Well, when you're closed off to everything because one is over suspicious or guarded, or maybe uh, you know one's been hurt, but it's like pinching off the lifeline of your of your of your life, uh, pinching off the lifeline. I mean, so it's like having such a shortened. Um, reduced, uh, truncated is a good word, cut off life, that it's not worth it. And I think this is what movement does. Uh, it um, Movement and dancing particularly, which is getting more and more uh, traction in the medical community, that, and we'll get onto that because that is an absolutely fascinating story. Mm -hmm. So, Shona, so... The situation we have here is, do you think that um, this is because of the historical tradition or uh, financial considerations or shortage of therapists or, or everything or a shortage of imagination, maybe? Let's be bold. I like the bold shortage of imagination because when I'm working – Here's a here's an interesting example, just because I do get pretty esoteric, but it works with everyone. I've had 29 podium athletes that I've worked with directly as a high performance coach, everything from rowing to skeleton, which is head first down the bobsleigh track, by the way, to bobsledding, that kind of thing. Um, and, and I mean, when I say podium, I mean, Olympic games, world cup, world championships. These are, these are highly successful athletes. And you know, we think that they have something different. We think mm -hmm. that they have something other than. And when I worked with them, we did. We, we A lot of them come from athlete training centers. They have the physiotherapists. They have the sports medicine doctors. They have the sports psychologists. They have all the things they need. Truth be told, so does everyone else. Now, sometimes we're paying for that. Obviously, everyone's paying in some way, financially, time-wise, somehow. Yes. But often, it's an expectation that you're hurt or you're, you know, that things were hard and you need to go to the physio or you need to go to the massage therapist or you need to go here or there. It's become too much of, of a freeway in our culture to see it as a problem-solving model. When we're constantly in a problem-solving model, we're adapting and compensating. And that means that something always has to be broken for us to be problem-solving, right? Or some, there always has to be a problem for us to solve. So we lose the promise-seeking. We lose the alignment. We lose that, that ability to not just be spinning almost like a rat on the, in, the, 
in the wheel, <laughs> you know? And I saw this when I came away from the university where I was in, I was at the University of Waikato and the Waikato Polytechnic in New Zealand, working with all kinds of different athletes for a decade. That's where I, I cut my teeth. But when I came back to Canada, I was so excited to work with the general population. And I learned so much from them. And that's when we really understand that the principles of high performance don't change. The person sitting in front of you might have a, def a different definition of high performance. The principles in the science don't change. The problem is, is they don't need physio every single day or, or every week. They need to take responsibility and understand mm -hmm. that the body's going to have some hard times that there's, we have to have a little bit of grind, but it's part of getting to the next step. And somehow we've created this freeway to a problem solving model that I think is, is completely leaving out my, the triangle, which is the top, the triangles, the top promise seeking. So we're not just constantly compensating and adapting. We're aligning to our high performance goals. And if that's having a bath by yourself unaided or that standing up out of your wheelchair, or that standing on a podium at the Olympic Games with a gold medal around your neck. It doesn't matter. The value you put on that is you, but the principle of alignment and promise-seeking, that mm -hmm. doesn't change. So I think the problem is it's become too much of a, have you ever noticed when you put, you got to go somewhere and you've been there a thousand times and you just kind of on the freeway and you don't even notice and then you're there and you're like, how did I get here? I don't even remember driving. And yet if you took a different route, You'd have to think about it. You'd have to right. plan it out. You'd have to be more aware and conscious mm -hmm. of Definitely. where you're going. Yeah. And I think that's the problem. And that that's that's is it, it's just become too common commonplace. Well, I also see a lot of people, you know, with had, had chronic pain, and I read that they've been to about five therapists on a regular basis. And I'm thinking now, okay, how do you decide which is helping? I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying if I were the patient, those kind of appointments alone would be heavy going for me. Yeah. When we know that one of, you know, active self-help interventions seems to be the way to go. In fact, there's not even a dispute anymore. It's, right. it's the brain learning to say, yes, I can. Great. And you know that better than anyone, Dr. Trevor. Right? <laughs> you study this. And I've your had my face rubbed in that some, for, for decades. But, yeah, no, no. So I've I, I totally bought into that. So I think this idea of if you're hurting, you need a lot of stuff, a lot of therapies, a lot of uh, – you know, I mean, each case, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm each case on its merit, but really one needs to start a fire of activity and kindle it and see it through with warnings that after being deconditioned for months or sometimes even years, it hurts. Before we had our winter sports season, none of us were really prepared for, um, for the winter sports, which which where I'm from are, are just way more strenuous than the summer sports. And, right. um, you know, and, and even in the gym, we see no pain, no gain. And nobody balks at that. It's like, yeah, well, that sounds about right kind of thing. So, so this it's is so old school and it's not quite right. It's the right kind of pain, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The strain to get the muscles growing. Um, 
people are searching outside themselves and it's become part of a cultural norm. And that's what I think has to be completely shaken to its foundation and start over. It is not a cultural norm. This is something I love. We must free ourselves of the hope that the sea will ever rest. We must learn to sail in high winds. That's Aristotle Onassis, who was a shipping magnet. And, you know, when we start to come to terms with that, oh, I'm going to go ski hard and I might be at a little sore here. Or I might have a sore, you know, my knee or my this or my that. And I mean, I, I, I have lots of, lots of personal injuries that I deal with all the time, but I see them as part of who I am that should be mitigated and handled and respected. Again, back to the tender, moving and honest part. What can I do? What can't I do? And there's going to be high seas and we do have to light the fire of movement. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, you talked about that in community being from South Africa, Dr. Trevor, like people dance together. They, they dine together. They, there's a, there's a socialization that is so important and we're missing that. One of the, one of the things I've watched my mom and her partner do is they'll, the music, they have great music on all day, their favorite country music and they dance. We'll dance in the kitchen. They're almost 80. They, they have that joy and garden and tootle around and do whatever, but they're, they're doing it not because they must or have to. They're doing it because not, not something outside of themselves. They found within and they have challenges. They have physical challenges and chronic pain and all kinds of things, but they don't give that so much energy. And that's where sometimes we start to tell the story. Like you'll talk about in your book, you know, you tell the story about, your pain so often you actually make those connections to it. And I'm challenging people to make the disconnect, disconnect from that. Let your neurons reconnect with something that you're more, um, you're more designed to anyways. Right? Mm-hmm. So as you say, neurons that fire together, wire together. And, you know, most people do. And I, I really, I really think that that, that learning the language of movement, the an alphabet of what actually happens in our body, having a little more understanding mm-hmm. of our own body. All you have to do is follow your breath, follow your breath in right. and out, start grounding though. Those things give us more body awareness that gives us that interoception, that awareness of how the body feels internally and what we can do and what we can't do. And now we have all kinds of fun things like aura rings and Fitbits and different mm-hmm. things to help us if we want but if you're that person that needs that little bit of feedback, sometimes that those kinds of things, the aura ring or, or Fitbit, they're, they're inexpensive and it counts your steps. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I did more steps today. Right. Or you put on your favorite, your favorite playlist and the dancing is recorded in your heart rate variance. Like there's so many things to help people get out of the rut. I think right. that's what I'm trying to say. But if you're looking outside of yourself to do it, we all know that is a pretty much a, a, a problem solving, go nowhere, circling model that doesn't get you to where you really want to be. Yeah, a certain amount of, you know, guidance and therapy for, for sure. But, you yeah. know, eventually transitioning to a, an exercise program at home as well, that can even run concurrently, because one has to become a self-starter as well through the process. And that's not always fully expressed, I feel. 
It's time for a commercial break. Um, you're listening to Healthscape. This, I'm your host, Dr. Trevor Campbell. I'm talking to Shauna Sky Romano about learning to love movement. Are you satisfied with your chronic pain treatment? Chronic pain experts agree that recovery can only occur when the psychological and social issues which help trigger and drive the chronic pain are treated along with the other problems. Medications, injection therapy, and a range of physical therapies may provide temporary relief of symptoms, but they don't actually address the root causes that drive the chronic pain. I'm Dr. Trevor Campbell, a chronic pain consultant and author of The Language of Pain, a self-help book for those struggling with chronic pain. Add this type of therapy to your existing treatment plan and experience the difference. Get your copy of my book, The Language of Pain, on Amazon. And for further direction, there's also the Language of Pain online course available on my website, www.trevorcampbellmd.com. Act now to take back your life. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Healthscape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to host at trevorcampbellmd.com. Now back to the show. Well, we're back um, on Healthscape. Uh, I'm your host, Dr. Trevor Campbell, speaking to Shauna Sky Romano about learning to love your movement. So, um, you know, from, uh, from I've written about this in a course and, and written a blog or two about it, um, how one can, and it, with particular regard to chronic pain, how can we help the motivation issue? And we've got to keep it simple because people with chronic pain have low energy, they don't sleep well, often have depression, anxiety, and so forth. So that it, it can't be too elaborate. It's got to be simple. And I know your approach is, is very simplified as well, which is amazing, Shauna. Um, that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is we have to provide a good rationale, watertight, like the reason you're going to have to do, you, you need to do this right now, and it may be, you may even get a bit of an increase in pain temporarily, but you need to persevere. The other thing is to make it custom customizable. Not everybody... Um, will take to water and swim or, or something like that. You, you've got, you know, different people will find some activity, even gardening in chronic pain, you know, that's suitable for some people. And, um, but I think that changing the attitude, uh, there's a saying as well, I saw it on a coffee mug in a, in a, in a coffee shop, your attitude your altitude depends on your attitude. And, you know, immediately I was all over that like a cheap suit because I I like these things, (laughs) you know, they're inspirational. And and basically we change when we change our attitude to something. Uh, For example, I had patients who complained, um, and understandably I'm not taking judgment on any of these that how difficult things were you know, early on with COVID, with that work. And I had people who fared better by saying, 
look, I understand a lot of people aren't working. I, I'm so glad I've got a job. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't have some of the programs, uh, uh, problems rather. It means that their starting point, their positioning and their attitude was different and yet, and it made all the difference. And that's why movement, uh, getting into the flow, I've become very interested in the therapeutic aspect of dance. Uh, When you see, uh, I went to a a show in Istanbul, it's Sufi-based, it's a kind of ceremonial dance, the dervishes. And when you, this was in a 600-year-old building, amazing music, the type I'd not really heard much of before. And um, they basically move in circles. I mean, it's hard to get someone interested if you say, well, go watch people dancing in circles. But it was so riveting. These people were obviously in the flow. And um, you got to ask yourself, okay, so what is going on here? And there is a language to movement, just like there is a language to pain. There's probably a language to socialization. So what's happened now is, um, you know, for a long time we've known that uh, the benefits, you know, um, enormous role dance can play in neuroplasticity because it integrates movement and sound, firstly, you know, and and improves connectivity between the left and right hemispheres of the brain, which is increased brain function. And you in dementia, the reverse is happening, of course, while the complex movements integrate sensory and movement areas of the brain, as well as those concerned with what we call thinking or cognition. So it can improve memory and attention span. And I mean, with what we hear of people living a long time and the dementia wave that's hitting us, um, it's also believed that it can integrate the brain and improve nerve cell connections. Um, and this, that can be any dancing, any style. And apart from that, there's also, as you would know better than I, uh, Shauna, the benefits of increased flexibility, improved strength, muscle endurance, and balance. So I think that's a that's an exciting frontier, and I, something I suspect I I can't say I know. Uh, I suspect that when this data is more widely known and and even better supported, we might see some kind of. <laughs> I'll call it a therapeutic disco like the 80s, you know, where you go for your your neuroplasticity, your dose of neuroplasticity activity. Because they've now shown that this happened in, in, in I think, mid-year last year, that um, Parkinson's disease, which is obviously a very prevalent and, and debilitating, uh, you know, neurological disease, uh, disorder can be uh, mitigated, reduced, and, and, uh, and uh, overall improved by dancing. Now, this is early work, but I think that's a huge, huge, um, a huge frontier. And, and I know dancing is very close to you, your heart. You, you mentioned your mother's influence 
Um, so maybe you can let us know your thoughts about that, Shauna. Thank you, Dr. Trevor. Well, there's a lot in what you just said. Um, yeah, that's right? a mouthful. That was a mouthful, but it's it. You're right. It's all integrated. It's all yeah. interconnected. And I love the idea of disco therapy. I think that's fantastic. And if you think about, we used to when we were younger as kids, we'd go out after a week of you know, grinding it out in school and go dancing in a pub or dancing in a bar. And there just isn't so much of that now. So I think we need to absolutely bring back the disco therapy thing. But, you know, the whirling dervishes and that why that's so fascinating is movement as meditation. There's a lot to that. And it comes from without getting too crazy scientific, but you are the doctors and people that are listening to you here. We know that the nervous system and the endocrine system are two control systems of the body. Right. So when the nervous system and then are, are the dopamine and the oxytocin, uh, the oxytocin and all, and, and the serotonin, when we get those different hits, that becomes addictive. And when the nervous mm-hmm. system and the endocrine system are learning, are working together, right? It's not like a bad marriage where they just are smashing each other constantly. This is a, this is a marriage of two control systems in the body where they're working together. There's only going to be forward movement and benefit in the body as, as a wellness vessel moving forward Mm -hmm. towards wellness. But when those two systems are in constant grind and constant in, in a poor relationship, they're, they're always at, at, not in flow with each other, right? There's a, it's like constant fight or flight or constant cortisol from stress. We, what we find is it's very difficult to really move forward in any, in any sort of, I guess the word would be vision to, to get, get any forward momentum towards our goals or vision of what wellness might look like for us. Or, you know, that chronic pain we're talking about where people, we have to be so mindful just mm-hmm. tiny changes, atomic habits, tiny changes in that nervous system and the endocrine system working together. People mm-hmm. feel that they intrinsically feel that. And it's like a little tiny bit of hope in their, in their body and belief in their body's ability to actually become well. And that's mm-hmm. where I start. I've had people that literally could not get to the floor and back up such bad fibromyalgia cases, you know, doing movement in, in their home on a, on a chair or palliative care, like where you're just creating some flow and some deeper, I don't even know what that is. It's like a, a deeper understanding of the beauty of each cell, right? Mm-hmm. Each cell in our body, which we have trillions are cosmic in nature. And when we, when the nervous system and the endocrine system are working together, even just the tiniest forward motion, it could be just a, you know, it's a whisper. <laughs> it can be just a, just a little tiny movement forward there. The body responds and it feels it. And then we do more and then we do more. And it's, and it's really, it's progressive overload. So we don't start someplace that creates. So sometimes it's going to be a bit of pain, but the other stuff that mitigates that is so positive. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't get stuck in that arena of that cycle again that problem solving cycle, and and the the beauty of dance and music and you yeah. know maybe that's what we should be doing. I, I think I mentioned this to you when we were chatting, is helping 
people like my mom create playlists that they love because they don't know what else to do and tap their toe in their wheelchair. Mm-hmm. You can't listen to music that you love and not start moving your body. Right, right. It's intrinsic, yeah. Right? And children, our kids, like my kids, they're, they're 21 and 23 almost. And I think of them, they, they didn't get that movement, that dance, that fun that we had growing up that was just kind of part of being a teenager and being a young adult. Mm-hmm. These baby adults, they talk on their phone or they don't talk on their phone. They're texting. There's so little communication that I want to have a dance party for them (laughs) and teach them the value of actually being together, socializing. And they're starting to again now a little bit, but moving together, turning on some music, dancing in a living room, just, just being going for walks together, going for hikes together, bike rides, all those things. You don't have to be an athlete. You don't even have to be an outdoor enthusiast to go with your friend and lie in the park and watch the clouds and do some breath work that will create flow in your body. So that's the other thing that I think is sometimes a missing piece. If anyone's listening to this, that feels like, well, that's great. If you're athletically oriented, or if you're more physically oriented, what if you're, what if you really have some big challenges, start where you're at? It's There is no other than we're all the same. I don't care if you're 300 pounds or 90 pounds or you're, you know, I, or you're in a wheelchair. The, the reality is our bodies are created the way they're created and they're created for flow and movement. And even if that's just the breath in the body and, and the sound of your favorite song moving through your cells, you will get benefit that will start to create flow for you. Yeah. And I mean, like when, when they're showing, slowing down the progress the progression rather of, of Parkinson's and reducing symptoms. I mean, this is getting, you know, there, there are drugs, of course, but um, this is getting to a very in- interesting stage. Um, a more recent example, you know, it doesn't have to be traditional societies like in Brazil, it's being, you know, having great weather often and, and um, a society that likes music and, and dance and, football and quite a few things you will see that they congregate on weekends um, a a whole group of people and the children can all dance well because they dance with the adults until they're tired and then they just fall asleep on the beach you know with within like 10 yards of where everyone's done the music's loud and everything but the release those people have when they finally disperse it's it's just something that you don't see that often. I, and I, I've been doing a bit of a research um, project, very informal, I can add, on laughter, which is a gr- of great interest to me, just as a release. And it's a curious thing. And, you know, uh, chimpanzees and humans laugh and so forth. And um, I that same sort of uh, period of almost irrational behavior or less than rational behavior that provides this glow. And like when you've had a good laugh, when I first went to the States, I mean, I I went to nearly every improv I could go to because I, you know, you, you know me, um, I I like, I like a laugh, you know, and, and I laugh fairly easily. And I would sit usually in the front and sometimes 
it's it's very difficult to stop laughing. But we've kind of lost this. And I think particularly with the period we've been through, it's been tough on everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, the uncertainty and all that and, and stuff. I think that we have to, I, look, we have to do something. I think let's leave it at that. I, I, we have to make our lives more interesting where we can. Yes. And, and um, it, it starts at very, I mean, if you think about the Brazilian model, the African model, and a good laugh with friends, um, you know, where you can actually speak freely and not get pounced on, yes. you know, for using, well, the wrong adjective, right, or whatever. Um, so I, I'm a great believer in that because we, what's happened is, with increasing fragility in society uh, across the board, some might say, um, we we just become more, uh, you know, what hypervigilant. And hypervigilance is not the place you want to be because it doesn't put you in parasympathetic mode. And um, this, I think, is is great. So the, the 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 key is to change the attitude and the approach. And learn to love what you do, whatever you do. You once told me before, and I've never forgotten this, that you listen, you teach people to listen. Uh, you've said this now as well in a different way, to listen to their bodies. And if they really don't feel like that walk, they might do something else that is an activity, but that keeps them on track so that they don't start disliking the plan. Right. And I think well, that is very important, the, the non-rigidity. Yes. Well, hypervigilance you used, right? That yeah. is the opposite of freedom and flow. Right? That, that's, and that, that concept you just said about, you know, mirth and medicine and laughter stimulating T-cell production, which will stimulate our immunity, which makes us feel that, that more in control of our lives. Those are all things that we can choose and, and, you know, you once asked me, Trevor, like, what, what do you do with someone? How do you, what's different? And motivation on its own is not a stable baseline. Motivation is going to be high. It's going to be low. It's going to be medium. And if you're relying on that to go for that walk every day, you might as well forget it. So when you asked me, you know, what is it you would do? I get people to actually look in, listen deeply and really start to answer some questions. And, and if anyone's listening to this right now, do it for yourself. If I had magic jelly beans in my pocket and I said, my, these jelly beans, they represent the things you actually want in your life. Like why, or what, what do you want? What do you need? What do you feel you can, you can do? What would they look like? What, what are those jelly beans? Nobody could answer that question. Because they all had ideas of what they, what someone else thought they should be or right. what their doctor said or what their physio said or whatever. And I would make them get very quiet and calm. We do some breath work and let the answers come from them. So they turn the volume of that noisy brain down and, and don't get me wrong. That's all important information, but we already know all that. We're, the mm -hmm. volume is high on that. So we turn that volume down, turn up the volume of that little intrinsic motivator, your intrinsic coach, 
your intrinsic health and wellness specialist, that person, that little piece of you that actually knows what's right for you. Do you need a nap or do you need to go walk around the block, you know, once instead of the five times you usually do though, you know, are you hungry or are you thirsty? Those are things that people couldn't even answer. When I'd say, what if I can give you anything with these magic marbles, what is it you want? They don't know. So until we can figure that out, I, I call something that I do with my clients MMP, maximum mm-hmm. moment potential. And we can go through that in a minute, but, you know, because that's what skeleton was for me. Skeleton is head first down the bobsleigh track and you cannot be in the second behind you, not even the nanosecond behind you or in the second in front of you. You have to be exactly where you're at on your sled in that moment in time, regardless of G forces or centrifugal force or any of the things that are pulling you. You have to be so present. And I'll tell you, you become very disciplined at being present, being quiet and calm in in your body. I'm doing 120 kilometers an hour head first down the bobsleigh track. Quiet Mm -hmm. and calm aren't the first two words that come to mind, but the adrenaline is so high. But when when you actually learn how to do this, everything is in slow motion. So you don't have to slide headfirst down a bobsleigh track and you don't have to be an incredible rock climber or doing something at an extreme to find these answers. That's what MMP is. Mm-hmm. Maximum moment potential could be as simple as taking your socks off and putting your feet on the grass and sitting, watching the clouds with no phone, with no inter- no one interfering with you. Take your phone, put it away and see if you can do that and follow your breath for even one minute, because that will give you the answers that you're looking for on how to move forward. Because some of those questions are things like, when's the last time you felt well? What were you doing? What were the things that brought you a smile to your face and made you laugh? right? Or brought you joy. And people are so caught up in that hypervigilance on so many areas. Well, I have to do this and I have to do that. Mm -hmm. And I have to do these exercises and I, I have to move my body that they forget what it felt like to actually, what, what it was that brought them joy, what it was that actually brought them that intrinsic, awesome feeling of I'm home. And that's MMP. And it's maximum moment potential in this moment in time. What are we doing? What, what is it I want to achieve in this actual moment? Do, can I learn how to be present? Can I learn how to be completely, completely here in my body right now? Because when you are, your body will, that's when we turn up the volume of all that, what your body's trying to tell you. Not the physio and the doctor and the specialists, but what your body's been actually probably screaming at you for a while, but you've turned the volume so low that Mm -hmm. you can't hear it. And nine out of 10 times when I'm assessing someone, we turn that volume up and we touch something that they intrinsically have known sometimes for decades. I had one person who said 21 years they'd worked on something and they had this feeling that it wasn't quite right. It wasn't quite right. And, and they touched their own truth in that moment and everything changed for them. Mm. And it's not that we don't want to hear people. It's we've lost the ability of that deep, deep connection. And sometimes when we're hurting, you know, we think, well, maybe I'm just crazy because no one talks about their hurting. So, you know, being human is difficult and it hurts. It, sometimes it hurts really bad. It hurts our heart. It hurts our knees. It hurts our, it hurts. 
but we don't want to talk about it unless we talk about it as a problem to be solved. Right. What if it just hurts, Tre- Dr. Trevor? What if it's just hurting? And we just and we need just to communicate and be seen and heard. Mm-hmm. And our body gives us that intrinsic knowledge, that intrinsic, all I am is a glorified translator. I just, I just translate what this person has, they've lost the language that of movement and the alphabet of their body, what their body's trying to say. I just translate back to them. And you know that nine, like I said, nine out of 10 times, these people know what the problem is. If you can, um, if you can quiet the noise around them and, and, and give them that space to be heard. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right. I remember reading, um, you know, this, this question of, of intuition. I mean, some, we've all experienced it, right? So we know it exists, but I, I find particularly among males, and I don't mean to stereotype, but generally uh, it's more from the guys that I get to say, oh, well, that's other stuff, you know. But right. and trust a, a, a novelist explained this as Stentile. He said that the basis or the kind of, not his word, but we could say the receptor for intuition is self-awareness. When you know yourself well, you can measure, I mean, not in a scientific way, but in a subjective way, or, or you can guess or estimate how it affects you. And you can often read what it is or what the problem is. Now, I'm not saying this must replace anything, no. uh, you know, in our system or anything, but but you sometimes you just know that a certain activity uh, you know, people are rebounding and they suddenly feel this pain in their back and they're very keen. They just spent money um, or whatever. And um, they may change their exercise because they feel this one exercise, I just don't feel right doing it. Right. If somebody had to ask my opinion, I don't really pine too much on exercise, then I would say, listen to your body. Because anyone who's played sport or, I mean, anybody who's taken care of their body, knows the value of that. So these things that we talk about, because it's always measured against science, you know, where you can measure things and they have to be replicated. A lot of things, you can't do that easily, but it's there and, and it, and people use it anyway, let's face it. Yeah. Well, you, you, you've said something a couple times and it doesn't have to be a this or that world. We can have science and intuition. We, I, I love the science. I'm a kinesiologist. I, I love to study movement. I love the biomechanics of movement. I love the, everything about it. But I also love the intrinsic intuitive side of it. So why can't we have instead of a this or that, let's work this on a this and that. Okay. Let's live an and life. Let's yeah, live one does and- not preclude the other. You're right. right. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's that's great, and you can you can obviously inculcate this. We we're moving so fast out of time, um, Shauna. I'm going to have to have you back. You just need to come back because <laughs> I I set out to ask you so many things, and I I don't think I'm even halfway yet. What's oh, the most dear. important lesson you've learned? Or most important two lessons in your career? Anything you like? I would say that. As a young athlete and as a young person, anytime I followed sort of the prescribed path, I knew deeply on a, on a certain level, I knew deeply that, that it wasn't for me, 
that's when the challenge challenges came because I was challenging my own inner knowing because I thought it had to be a certain way and things never went well. And, and, you know, when I learned to trust and translate the information I had and started to really help others do the same, that was huge for me. That's when love to move was born. I, I was a young athlete. I was a late diagnosed celiac. So I was always sick. And I, because I was sick, I was, but I had lots of technical talent. I ever, I was never sort of the winner. I was never one that was going to be the winner. And then I would win, believe it or not, over and over. And that was interesting for me because it, it was because I stopped listening to the noise, Dr. Campbell. I, I learned early that it, what worked for others didn't work for me. And I, I learned to value that. And then I, managed to make a career out of teaching others to do the same, to value that knowledge, that intrinsic knowledge and understanding. And what a career it's been, Shauna. <laughs> well, know, thank you. Well, no, but it was a step-by-step transition based on, on what you, you saw, your truth. And it was you stuck to the good diligence and uh, did the good work and, uh, and, and, you, you know, really, I, I know a little bit about you. Um, you are a communicator par excellence. And I think that's where everything starts. Uh, it's not the words we use. It's the sincerity behind the words. Um, people have a, uh, what's the word? Truth, <laughs> a truth meter. <laughs> I won't use the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and I think they, that's, that is huge. People, when they see your heart's in the right place, it's easy for them to follow with heart and mind. Yes. Which is really probably the only way we do things really well. So, I couldn't agree more. And I am so honored and blessed to share and be sharing this time with you, Dr. Campbell. Well, we have felt the same about you. I'm sure my listeners feel the same as well. So Shauna, thank you so much for, for sharing your truth and your experiences with, with me and the listeners. And um, I, I will definitely, you need to come back. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be calling you. That would be fun. That would be great. I'd look forward to it. Thank you. This is Dr. Trevor Campbell, your host on Healthscape signing off. Um, we'll talk again next week. Thank you for tuning in to Healthscape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. We hope you'll join us again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time or listen anytime on demand on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a healthy week.